Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we'll be talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality, and creating change. LGBTQ communities are disproportionately affected by cancer. The stress and stigma experienced by sexual and gender minority communities interacts with cancer one of the most devastating of health challenges. The National LGBT Cancer Network works to improve the lives of LGBT cancer survivors. Joining us today is the Deputy Director at the National LGBT Cancer Network, Scout. After completing his master's in sociology, Scout realized while applying to his PhD program that the work he'd really been doing was in public health. This realization led him to Columbia University's Sociomedical Sciences Program, an interdisciplinary program with study divided between public health and sociology. Scout is not only the deputy director of a national LGBT cancer network, but also the principal investigator of a CDC-funded LGBTQ tobacco-related cancer disparity network. He has a long history in health policy analysis and a particular interest in expanding LGBTQ surveillance and research. His work has won him recognition from the U.S. House of Representatives, two state governments, and many city governments. He's also a much sought after speaker. From tobacco use to cancer screening, including mammograms and cervical cancer awareness, cancer prevention, care, and cure is an LGBTQ issue. Scout, welcome to Collections by Michelle Brown. How are you today? I'm doing really well, thanks. I think 2020 is going to be an amazing year. That's my guess, my feeling. What about you? That's my goal, too. I think it's going to be an exciting, a busy year, you know, just a busy year all around. You know, I know that you are in Providence, but, you, you know, it's interesting that you started out in California, and then you went to Columbia, and you studied um, the social media sciences what was it about yeah. that program how did you find out about it and for those who don't know what socio-medical sciences are what exactly is it uh, that's a great question sometimes I think universities make up some of these names but what it really is mm-hmm. is public health plus sociology and I had done my master's in sociology, which is, of course, kind of studying what populations do, right? You know, psychology is studying an individual. Sociology is studying what, you know, groups, big groups do. And I I realized as I was trying to apply to my PhD program that the work I'd really been doing was in public health. And public health is something I didn't even know what it was when I was in school, and that's really studying the population, the health of those populations. So the beauty of that is that Columbia ended up having a program, which they called Sociomedical Sciences, which is exactly sociology plus public health. So they put the two of those together, and that seemed to be right in my sweet spot of what I was particularly very interested in. Mm. Was it, what led you to be, I mean, sociology is a really big field. What led you in that direction that ultimately made you think about it? I mean, is it like just from seeing what was happening in your community? Who was your influencer? Yeah, well, you know, I've always had 
great mentors at, at, at every stage of my life, and I, and I hope all of us do, you know, w- whether we're very young or, or very, very old even. So I've had some people who've been really influential in my life. Um, for a lot of this time, it was this amazing researcher who has now passed. Her name is Dr. Judy Bradford, and she was the one who first taught me about this idea that lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender health was different than the general population health. And, you know, I didn't even know why at first. I'm like, I don't understand. We've got the same biology. And Mm -hmm. she really opened my eyes to this, the truth, this deep truth, that most of our health, all, uh, like it's, you know, 80 plus percent of our health is actually not by our biology, but by all these social factors that affect us. So especially for people who are living lives that are very intersectional between different populations, we, we accumulate all the potential risks of all those different populations, and those social factors play a much bigger role in our health than we might guess. So duty really inspired me, and I think as someone who's been working in the LGBTQ civil rights movement myself for a while, I had long been thinking about these issues of how you know, leaders who aren't good affect populations and then Mm -hmm. how leaders within populations kind of push back and try and fight for more justice one way or another. You know, it's wondering that you talk about how being in there, uh, being in the movement, and, you know, an option when people think, you know, you're working in the movement, we're talking about our civil rights, we talked about marriage equality, we talked about, Mm -hmm. you know, protecting our rights, but there's something about, like you said, how medically it's different. I can't tell you how many conversations that I've been in. I mean, most recently I was in um, Atlanta, and there was a woman there who was from Pride Study, and there was someone who came up and said how, you know, she'd been going to the doctor and everything was fine till when she went and she said, oh, well, I got married. And suddenly there was a change. And people who have, you know, I had a partner who at one point in time, and she, when she went in, she said, now, I'm wondering what we should say. Maybe you should say that you're my cousin so that they'll let you right. listen. And that affects, you know, whether you go to the doctor and, oh, you know, huge. and how you, how you treat it. Yeah. And, you know, even more, uh, if you're not in the health field, you may not realize that it's even more important than we had guessed because there's this new area of research called patient-centered health outcomes. And patient-centered health outcomes basically mean that it's not necessarily whether Dr. A and Dr. B give you the same diagnostic tests, but to be honest, if you get along better with Dr. A, you're going to get healthier as a result. Mm. So Mm -hmm. this idea of what the relationship is is actually really important right now more than we guessed. And so, of course, for LGBTQ folks or, or anybody across any spectrum that experiences some kind of stigma or discrimination, you know, when we get even the cold shoulder, you know, all of us are always wondering, like, why? You know, I have, I have a funny story mm-hmm. that my barber didn't get back to me, and he had been my barber for five years. He didn't get back to me once for a while, and literally my first thought was, is it because I'm trans? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, of course – does it really make sense? He'd been my barber for five years. He didn't just find out I was trans, you know what I mean? But we all carried that, uh uh-oh, is it because of blank, right? Uh And it turned out it was because he got put in jail. So you can see how ridiculous (laughs) it was that I was worried that I'm like, oh, now he won't even cut my hair, you know? So it was, was, we all carry that to our interactions, that concern and those kind of fears. So it really, you know, we understand more importantly, what kind of a role this plays in our health care and in our health, unfortunately, sometimes in our reasonable avoidance of health care as a result mm-hmm. of these factors. Yeah, I know. You know, you have so many, I mean, you hear so many, like, funny things, but then things that aren't really funny. As you were working with the community, how did you, like, sort of, like, start to transition just from being, like, an activist to sort of, like, hey, you know what? We need to bring our medical health into this. And the, and the things that you learned through sociomedical sciences. 
Yeah, well, it was, I, I mean, again, it was, it was really a lot of that concept of the mentors that, uh, that helped me understand that this really was a factor that was something that we needed to, A, be aware about, you know, we still to this day, if we talk to people about how their health care was, we have a tendency to think, oh, well, you know, the doctor I think gave me decent tests, so I'm pretty sure that it's fine, you know. Uh-huh. But on the other hand, we put up with doctors being chilly to us, maybe being not as welcoming as you might guess. Maybe we just don't, you know, laugh with our doctors as much as we suspect other people might. We don't know what it is, but the doctors may not be treating us as warmly as others. And, you know, it, it really, it, it got me kind of fired up that I, we need to do a better job of educating ourselves that we should expect more. You know, the old saying, you know, you can, you can unchain the dog on the porch, but if it's been chained up forever, it's not going to, you know, go anywhere else. And, and mm-hmm. so in that same way, we we have expected this for so long that we need to start to change our own expectations of what's reasonable, raise them, and then hold the medical community to those new standards. But that itself is a big shift in thinking for all of us, right? So how do you even get the news out to all of us that we should expect more? And, and truth be told, in some places and ways, we don't have a right to expect more yet because we don't have supports or protections around some of those things. So we want to be able to expect more, but it's practically aspirational in some areas because we don't yet have protections. Yeah, you know, because, you know, we know we can be fired from our job just for being who we are. And if you have great medical benefits, it's like like a barrier that that you might not even recognize. When you say, well, I've got great uh, benefits, I go to see my doctor. But are you fully disclosing everything that, mm-hmm. that you need to with your doctor for fear that someone will see it? I've talked to people who have been HIV positive, and it was like, well, I was concerned about going in this place because someone might see me and assume. And, you know, yeah. how that fear, I mean, yeah. how, you know, is that as, as big as a challenge, you know, like to get people to open up? and talk about it in our community. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's more insidious than we even think, because this whole shift, the culture shift in the medical community and the health community and among our own expectations. You know, I remember at one point back under the Obama administration, everybody was very proud and that, that they had just passed protections saying that, like, your chosen family needed to be allowed to see you and be respected in the hospital, right? So you wouldn't, Mm -hmm. you could no longer get excluded if you were to say that was my partner. They wouldn't leave her outside or something like that had happened, you know, in a couple horrible cases where the person had died and their partner had not, you know, not even been able to see them, right? And I went through an experience myself where my mother, who is a lesbian actually, had a partner and she lived in a state where they couldn't get married. So it was before marriage was legal in that state, back before it was, available to more people, and her partner hit a critical care situation and went into the hospital. And the hospital, thinking that they were very welcoming, let my mother in, let my mother stand there, but because they're like, well, the legal next of kin is this sister she never talks to from across the country. They spent all their time talking to the sister from across the country, and my Mm. mother was literally left begging the sister not to pull the plug on her partner until she agreed that it was time to do so. So we see these horrific situations unfold where you think, oh, someone thinks they've taken a step forward. But the truth is discrimination is so insidious that there's still some way that you can go through a horrible situation, even if someone thinks they're protecting you a little bit more. You know what I mean? So there's mm-hmm. lots of steps we've got to go through to actually get full respect and acknowledgement. Oh, wow. You know, it is. It's, it's, and you do see that. I mean, you see even down to the point, you know, like, yes, we can get married. Okay, some places. I had a friend um, here in Michigan, who, even though she and her wife were married, they had a baby. She still went through the steps of adoption. You know, yeah. I mean, it's, sort of, it's like so, so crazy. So, you know, you went from acting. Did you ever 
was this always your career path, or were you happy to find that this thing that you were so passionate about, that there is a career path working and serving in our community? It, it definitely was not always my career path. But, you know, I started out, I, I was always interested in health. I started out in the HIV arena. And the simple truth is there's so much more money in HIV that a lot of mm-hmm. us who are interested in health get sucked into that vortex and do good work there, not arguing about mm-hmm. that whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But for me, it was kind of freeing to understand that beyond HIV, we were defined by more than that for our health, right? You know, mm-hmm. and that Beyond that, there actually was a gr- starting to be a growing LGBT health movement. Of course, when I first got my PhD, it's right when uh, George Bush moved into office. So you can imagine I was like, uh-oh, there's not going to be much growing over the next few years here. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. And, uh-huh. and it is something where it really does, is impacted by who we elect as president. There's, there's a lot, there's more changes than you want to know about that I, could, that I could talk about, about how the president really does change the way um, all sorts of different health bodies uh, affect these issues. So, you know, it was, it, was, it was slim pickings for a while there, but I was still so excited that some people were really committed to this idea of looking at really what were uh, the constellation of our health issues and not just HIV. How are we defined beyond that? That, you know, I, I got inspired by all of those people being kind of early pioneers in the field. I hung on and mm-hmm. eventually more and more people started to join. And now there's a pretty robust group of people who are professionals researching this or, you know, obviously there's whole associations like the Gay and Lesbian Medical Association bringing together the providers on this. But what's really exciting for me now is there's also more and more out community groups who are now focusing on this. Like, for example, um, the American Society of Clinical Oncologists or cancer doctors. Uh, They hadn't done too much on this before, and they literally just this year, um, we actually contacted them and said, hey, there's this, you know, there's this news about how more cancer doctors really want to find out, a lot of them, 60 to 80% really want to find out more about how to do a good job caring for LGBTQ people. And they responded by standing up a special advisory committee that is now looking into how they can create more materials, how they can be more welcoming as an association. So, you know, changes like that when we see it from the outside, I'm really excited by. Those are, those are cool. You know, and it's, it's interesting because, you know, for the longest, if you said you were a member of the LGBT community, their first issue was, oh, HIV. But, you know, right. we're queer, but we've got these bodies that are just like, yep. you know, yep. it's like this, this standard issue, you know, it comes out, right. you know, you've got a heart, you've got, you know, and... All of these things happen to us. And, yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a part to, like, to expand that. And you said that there's money for HIV. Are you finding that there's more money for other health issues, other issues concerning our overall health? I'd love to give you great news on that point. I'm still going to mm-hmm. say that it's really dominated by HIV money. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some, some good... Uh, bright points. Like, for example, we run at the National LGBT Cancer Network, we run a federally funded project for cancer and tobacco LGBTQ work. And so CDC funds this project. And it's a great model because basically the CDC funds every state, tribe, and territory to do cancer and tobacco work. And they basically have said, well, you know something, we're also going to fund some experts in underserved populations, and we're one of eight disparity networks. So there's, there's also a network on African-American, African populations. There's a network on Asian-American, Pacific Islanders. There's a network on Native Americans and on. And we're one of those. So mm-hmm. we are kind of the experts that the, that the feds fund to help provide more technical assistance and expertise to all these other groups that they're also giving money to. So there's bright spots. Although mm-hmm. I will still say it's overwhelmingly still HIV-focused money, and mm-hmm. I look forward to the day when that expands farther. Okay, well, Scott, we're going to take our first break here, and I want to talk more about the work you're doing now. So we'll be right back.
This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. on collections by Michelle Baum. And I'm talking to Scout, and I've got to ask you, what does NFN stand for? Oh, that's, that's funny. I'm sorry. That just means I actually don't have a first name. NFN stands uh. for no first name. <laughs> I like that. You know, trans, trans people have to rename. We have to rename ourselves, right? And mm-hmm. it was my friends who really were like, oh, no, no, he doesn't have a first name. He's just Scout. So I'm like, mm-hmm. all right. And so that ended up being the way it, the way it flowed. Uh-huh. Well, you know, and we should be able to change, accept, you know, change our name, yeah. be, our, be who we are. You know, I remember those great days under the Obama. We had hope. You know, we had hope with the right. Obama administration. And I can recall I was on the board of the National Black Justice Coalition, and we went and we were talking to someone who was saying, like, you know, we're trying to get Sharon. this information because we know that there's more than HIV, particularly with this administration that we have, and particularly the attacks on the trans community when we know there's need for trans health issues. Are you seeing, is that causing a problem in your work? Um, I think that, you know, I guess I am, I am relieved that trans get some attention because of unfortunately, especially trans women, especially trans women of color, the heinously high HIV rates. I'm glad that that means there's some kind of response, but as you say, we are so much more than just that one particular virus. Mm-hmm. And um, I still, I'm uh, the co-chair of a research advisory group um, for NIH's, um, basically their LGBTQ office, right? It has a weirder okay. acronym, but that's what, that's what it is. And as they do a portfolio analysis of all the money that NIH gives out, basically most of the trans money is still all about HIV, and we need so much more. Like, we need money around researching and creating interventions for our mental health, around our social health and our social connections, um, not even counting addictions, uh, issues like tobacco use, things like that. So... We're still at the early years of being seen as whole humans, you know. Right now, mm-hmm. we're unfortunately still a little bit more focused on that virus. And I look forward, you know, to when that really changes. Just as an example, in, in the whole country, among LGBTQ folks, about six times as many people smoke as have mm-hmm. HIV. Mm-hmm. And almost all those people are going to die early as a result. And HIV these days, as long as you have appropriate medication, has turned into a chronic disease instead of a terminal disease. Mm-hmm. So you, you now see if six times as many people smoke and, and most all those people are losing years off their life, that tobacco is actually a much larger issue in our world than HIV is. Yet it gets only a fraction of the attention. And then, of course, you know, tobacco use causes a third of cancers. Therefore, cancer is much bigger than mm-hmm. so many other things, and yet it, it, it's, it, it gets barely any mention at all. Marno, you're the deputy director of a national LGBT cancer network. And, you know, I have had hit or miss. I mean, I've had issues with, around cancer in my family, I've had, like, you know, a couple of issues with, with breast cancer. I've talked to people who have had breast cancer. And in looking up, you know, you want to know because, you know, I hear it's almost like when you come coming out again. When you – I was at something and someone was talking about cancer and everybody was sitting there real quiet. And finally I raised my hand and I said, you know, hey, I was diagnosed and I want to do this. And then suddenly other people did that. Why? Interesting. Yeah, I mean, no, really. I mean, it's like, why are people 
is there is there still a stigma about cancer? I mean, sometimes I hear someone say like, when she said she had cancer, people acted like they could catch it from her, you know? And <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're like, you know, why why is that? And how important to me, I found it was great to sit around that ever lesbian and trans women and be able to talk about cancer and things yeah. to look at and be about that. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because, you know, if you look at it from kind of a holistic perspective, when you're part of a population or several populations that experience a lot of discrimination, it's actually healthy for you not to define yourself by what could be perceived as a weakness, but by a strength, right? So we actually understand that it's part of resiliency. It's like when you ask African-American community members if they've experienced racism, the reports of racism will be much lower than their actual experience because they kind of don't want to define themselves by the weakness. They want to define it by a position of strength, right? Okay. So from, from like a scientist perspective, we're like, oh, that could be people defining themselves by more of a position of strength, right? But then, like you say, you don't get the social support. You experience more isolation. You feel like you're more alone. And I think particularly in our communities, this concept of being alone is hurting us, and I would even say is killing us in many circumstances, because without understanding that there's other people who are going through the same types of things that you're going through, and that a lot of your experiences, your trials, you know, when you're really struggling, when you're getting down, when you are facing a wall because you do have cancer and you don't know who to call this week because your other friends are already burnt out because you needed them a lot. Facing those types of things and understanding that what you're struggling with is not isolating, but that other people have really hit some of those black spots, some of those real Uh points where you have to dig deep can really help us heal. So, it, you know, for this, there's an interesting perspective of are we, are we being resilient by not focusing on it, but how might we be hurting ourselves because then we're not letting ourselves heal? Yeah, you know, because, I mean, there's um, a woman who I talked to who had talked about, I mean, she was into holistic health and, like, and what, mm-hmm. what are you eating on it? I mean, it opens up so many conversations that if you don't, Start somewhere you don't have. Now, on your website, the website for the Cancer Network, it says that LGBTQ communities are disproportionately affected by cancer. Why is that? Well, the first and easiest answer is, unfortunately, is our tobacco use. And let Mm -hmm. me also be clear that these days, with vaping becoming a big deal, we just don't know what level of that has to do with cigarette use or nicotine. So we, I just want to be cautious that vaping is not always as much of a friend as some people might think it is. If anything, right now, particularly the way it's addicting our youth, it is a real enemy. So um, the first thing is definitely because of our higher rates of, of smoking. We right now use tobacco. It, you know, it used to be like 60% more than the general population. Then I'll be honest, it dropped to about 40. And with vaping, it's turned around and it's going wow. up again. Right now, it's okay. at 50. So we're using tobacco at rates that are 50% higher than the general population. And, and when tobacco has then been positively linked to a third of all cancers, and it seems like every year they even identify more, uh, that alone is one big reason why we have a, a, a higher rate of cancer. But, but also, it's not even just the rates of cancer that are an issue. Because if we're not seeing the doctor as much or the healthcare providers, if we don't feel comfortable when we go to the healthcare providers, it means that we don't get the cancer that we have caught faster. We don't get as many diagnostic screening tests. Like how many trans guys are going to get, you know, like as you say, it's cervical cancer awareness month right now. Mm-hmm. How many trans guys are going to get their pap smears on a regular basis? You know, I'll be honest, as a trans guy, there's like parts of my physical body that are kind of pixelated out in my mind. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, they're just like, no, they don't register, does not compute. You know what I mean? Kind of thing, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's hard to get me even, honestly, to, you know, go and take care of those parts that I just don't admit exist. So, 
you know, and then, you know, let's, let's add it on to the fact that, like, I'm about to go to Creating Change um, in the week that this podcast will air. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. Uh, so it's really great that um, actually a traditionally African-American sorority is bringing their mammogram band to Creating Change, and that's an amazing thing. But their colors are pink and green. So they've got, well, actually like a lot of mammogram bands, their, their band is kind of like half bright pink. And, you know, as a trans guy, is this the kind of thing that I feel comfortable walking into and saying, sure, you know, if I'm a, mm-hmm. someone who needs a mammogram, I will go into that kind of VAM to, to get some kind of cancer screening test. And so there's, you know, kind of layers of how this stuff becomes complicated for us. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the medical community is just trying to figure some of these things out. But I'm not getting as many screenings as I need. And I'm not seeing the doctor as much. Then it's not mm-hmm. just about our extra risk factors. It's also that cancer is caught later. Our treatment may not be as swift, and that means, unfortunately, the impacts of cancer are more profound. Uh. And you know, and then there's also the environmental part. And the reality is that many LGBTQ people live at the lower end of the socioeconomic mm-hmm. ladder, and they live in areas. Where, in the cities, yep, yep. In this city where we know, I mean, the environmental justice movement has identified pollutants and things that are coming. Mm-hmm. Like you said, that here we are living there. We may or may not have medical insurance, mm-hmm. and we, which makes us late to the game to go get medical treatment. And here are these reasons are, you know. And is there any way of, of, of tracking that, how that's affecting you know, our community? You know, I, I would love to say that the answer is yes, and I got to say right now that probably one that one's probably beyond the capabilities of of what we're fighting, uh, of what we think we can get in the near future. And you know, you're so true though, and that's something people don't realize. You can take like the same city, you take Manhattan, and I know because Columbia was up just abutting Harlem, and so you know we had these public health classes, which were great, that talked about how if you take the air quality in Harlem versus like. Midtown, it's wildly different. Why? Because Mm -hmm. in the lower income areas, and of course those are areas more likely to have the LGBTQ and community of color populations and, 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 you know, immigrant populations, everything like that, that the city services have usually put like the diesel bus depots, the trash Mm -hmm. dumps, things like that. You know what I mean? Things that make a difference in what we actually, uh, you know, experience as far as our, our environmental issues. So you're absolutely right. We've got all of those factors that really complicate things. But for, for us right now, the truth be told, where our fight is, is we're literally trying to get states when they do these big surveys of, you know, do you have cancer, do you not have cancer? They're not even asking if someone is LGBTQ on the surveys yet. Mm-hmm. More are, but too many aren't. And so there's this big, you know, in the health world, there's these big things called cancer registries where you tell the CDC, the government, everybody, oh, this person got cancer and it was associated with this and this is how many in the population have it. Well, the registries don't collect if we're LGBTQ. So we have no clue how many LGBTQ people have cancer in the country. Wow. You know, um, that's a, what is it, this Pride study, which is out of Stanford. That's what they're trying to, like, collect. They said, like, everyone is gay who's collecting this information to try and do it. But, you know, like you said, there's no place that's doing it. And then I guess the other thing that, that, that's interesting to me is, like, we had Creating Change here last year. Um, I love the task force. They mm-hmm. are doing good. But like you said, it's a big pink van. I agree, I agree, but, but, but kudos to the sorority that's bringing it there. That is a step mm-hmm. forward. You know, we, we want everybody to take a step forward. It may not be the perfect step. You know, uh-huh. they probably don't have the ability to, re, you know, paint their van. But maybe, you know, we'll help pitch in to buy a bunch of trans flags to cover it for one day or something like that, you know, because uh-huh. uh-huh. so, you know, we, we want those steps forward. We really do. But, but you're right, it's complicated because there's a bunch of things we just haven't thought about related to how to actually treat us with respect and, and what does that mean, you know, for the general population. Although well, in general, I've got to say that the pinkifying uh-huh. of breast cancer is, is hard because there's, you know, not only trans women, 
at risk for breast cancer. Trans guys, okay. breast tissue, even if you've had top surgery, and if, of course, okay. if you haven't had top surgery, you definitely are at risk. So, you know, there, there's just layers of the, to make mammograms just about pink is, is, or breast cancer just about pink is, there's a lot of people that's not as welcoming for, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, you know, because, you know, I mean, there's cis men who have breast cancer. I mean, breast cancer, yeah, let's yeah. talk about breast cancer, you know, and, and, to, and to do that. I know that uh, part of what the network does is a cultural competency yep. training. Yep. How, where are you targeting that? Is it primarily at hospitals and with doctors? Or are you going into the community to start talking about You know about something, this? I will be totally honest with you. Right now, we're, we're, whoever will have us is where we want to go. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I, I, I wish we could mm-hmm. say that we're going to go specifically to this place, but the truth is lots of places don't want us, you know? So mm-hmm. it's whoever will have us that we're going into. And the nice part is, is that, you know, that sometimes can be like the dental schools in Maryland. You know, an unexpected place suddenly wants to talk about cultural competency training. But it, other times it's, it's places like comp, comprehensive cancer centers, which we're very excited about. It's state mm-hmm. cancer and tobacco control programs want to have trainings, which we're really excited about. The state of Virginia actually ran a whole LGBT health conference run by the cancer department. First time they'd ever had one in the state just this last year because they wanted to focus more on these issues and bring their providers in and train them more. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it, we, we get some great highlights of how we see people moving forward, but we're still at the point where we're, you know, we're kind of standing at the door being like, don't you guys think you need training? Come on, you need training, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Are you seeing attitudes, though, in like particularly the medical profession, I mean the dental profession, places where they're doing that where, you know, I don't know what they thought, you know, what was going to happen with us. But, right. uh, you know, where, where they're starting to say, like, you know, yeah, I need to look at my patient as the whole patient. And that they're recognizing that maybe some of their biases are keeping them from providing the best care. Yeah, I think we are seeing, you're absolutely right, we are seeing a steady shift. And you know how it is. Our, our youngins, I can't wait for them to grow up because they're expecting mm-hmm. a different world than we have right mm-hmm. now. And so I can't wait till they grow up and start to run it because they're going to expect even more. But um, I talked about that study a little earlier of just cancer doctors. And when they ask cancer doctors, do you, you know, do you feel you know enough and want to know more about LGBTQ health issues? Basically, 60% acknowledged that they needed to know more about LGB and 80% said they needed to know more about T. So that's a great mm. level of willingness and interest and desire. You know, now we've got to match it with the actual resources so that whole group can get all that information they need. And it's not like just because that's there, it doesn't mean that suddenly someone has a bunch of resources where they're suggesting, oh, let's do this training, here you go, and we're going to make it available to everybody and mandatory. So there's, st- there's always pieces of the jigsaw puzzle that might be, you know, not yet there. Mm-hmm. But it's great that that willingness and interest is there. But, you know, but I will mm-hmm. say one thing about it, though. For the trans population specifically, there's a little exception. It used to be that a while ago there was a, a, a movie that documented how one white male trans guy with, uh, I think it was actually, it could have been cervical cancer for all I know, was refused care by 19 doctors. He was from the South. 19 doctors basically said something the equivalent of, you're a freak, get out of here. And what we see is the doctors aren't doing that as much anymore, right? But what they're often doing, particularly in non-urban areas, is saying, I'm not an expert enough on trans. So why don't you go find someone else who is? And unfortunately, for the trans folks, that just means we still don't have care. Mm -hmm. So sometimes the words are shifting a little bit, they're sounding a little bit better, but the outcome still isn't good. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, you know, and I think that that's one of the, the great things about 
the trans community is that they challenge all of us to expand how we think about humanity. Mm. And, you know, and when you stop and you look at that, we have, and I can't think of his name now, but he's with Equality Illinois, and he and his wife just had a baby, and he was the birth parent. And, you know, (laughs) it is just parenting, you know, it's tricky, you know, but I can also see, and I have a friend here who actually works in in cancer research. Noel, Noel has had, he had one set of twins and a single birth. And, you know. Are you talking about Noel Larkin? Yes. I love him. Yes, I love Noel. You know, I mean, and how that made people, you know, people have to, it expands what is parenting. They parent, you know, what's the relationship and what it is. But like you said, the same thing. It's like, okay, if he were to walk in and say, well, you know, that, that's, that, that feeling of the other, like, of course he's supposed to have cervical check because, you know, he yeah, you got to check what you've got. You know, he, and, 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 and it's a decision that you can opt to do and that we have to look at that. doesn't take away from him. He is no bottom line, you know. And so I think that, you know, that, that, it makes you really think, you know, like are we putting people in these boxes and just going by uh, X, Y, and whatever chromosome and saying that's it? No, it's more than that. And we are our full self, you know. Yeah. Um, and I'm hoping that also, like, even with cancer, because I've talked to trans women who have said, you know, their insurance, their insurance provider sort of basically said, well, what do you want to be? Do you want to be a woman or do you want to be a man? We'll cover this, this procedure but not that. You know, yeah. we won't check for prostrate because, well, we paid for this. Well, you know. Right, right. Like you said. We're going to do either a mammogram or prostate cancer check. And you're right, exactly. It's not checking what you've got. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's this. There's this phrase that um, the NIH uh, Diversity Initiative, Diversity Office, has um, adopted called Great Minds Think Differently. And I really think that, you know, the way you're talking about, like, the trans community forces us to expand our horizons, that could be really powerful, right? Because we Mm -hmm. often learn more about everybody by looking at the people who aren't in the mainstream, right? Mm -hmm. You know, so it's this idea that great minds think differently, and we learn more about all of us by looking at not just whatever, you know, the usual is, but what the exceptions are or what, you know, what the unexpected is. And that, that helps us learn more about all of our humanity. Mm-hmm. So I know we talked a lot about tobacco and stuff. I know that two of our centers here have, you know, tobacco cessation classes, you know, because there's money for that. The Ruth Ellis Center here um, they formed a partnership with a hospital. I love them, too. I just want to I say. Know, I know. And you know, they, they formed a part. You know, isn't it like we love the same people? That's why we love each other. Right. You know? Exactly. They, they, and, you know, I mean, and they formed a partnership. With, and now they have a place where many people in the LGBTQ community, especially young people, this is where they're going. And some often this is the very first time they've gone and had a physical examination because of all the stigmas and the not feeling safe or welcomed in other places. I think this is a wonderful model. I think it's great that we, we, you know, yeah, it'd be wonderful if we could all walk into wherever. But if I can't walk into and be treated perfectly, have a place where I can go and feel safe and have all my questions answered. Do you see other communities developing things to where, if you are LGBT from a teen to an elder, you can go in and say, you know, I haven't been a long time. Check me out. And if you have cancer, come up with treatments for me that encompass all of me, who I am, my family, who I love, how I live. Well, you know, you bring up a great point. Are we going to get some of our best, like, forward progress out of mainstream organizations trying to reach out to us. Like, for example, Noel works at uh, a cancer center, a mainstream comprehensive cancer center. 
And then Ruth Ellis is doing kind of the other model of trying to get a specific place where LGBT folks can kind of land and, and get attention, right? So are we going to get more progress out of kind of the mainstream groups reaching out or us creating kind of some of our own groups, right, where we, where we have a home? Um, and the truth is what we're seeing is that we're going to get different types of wins off of each model. We're going to get the most vision and progress and commitment and, and the most new ideas off of like the make our own center model because that's fully staffed by people who are us, who are a diversity of the different representations of us, who, have, you know, who are thinking about it 24-7 because it's, it's our existence right? And so you're going to get more innovation kind of out of that model. But on the other hand, if you're actually trying to reach the population, then you've got the power for that is in when the mainstream organizations try and do a better job model, right? So when you have whatever your big hospital is, you know, maybe it's St. Mary's or something like that. And so your first thought is, uh-oh, that may not be very welcoming for me, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but when St. Mary's starts to try and reach out and do something for the LGBTQ communities, that's going to be really helpful if St. Mary's is in Nebraska or something like that where there just aren't other options, you know? Ruth Ellis is in Detroit. So they have, you know, they have a, a greater density of LGBTQ people there so Ruth Ellis is going to come up with more innovation. But like those St. Mary's kind of models where they reach out a little bit to us and, and they may not get it perfect, but they're trying, that's going to reach the most people across the country when that keeps happening. So I think, you know, basically we need both types. We need both mm-hmm. sets and groups of people working towards each other. If you have the option of going to an LGBTQ health center, you're going to feel kind of welcome there. And you know, it was interesting, I actually, there's a, uh, it's not even LGBTQ, it's just a regularly, uh, a, a kind of a poor person health center called the Federally Qualified Health Center here, and it's called Thunder Mist. And I went there for a dental procedure, right? And they happen to be very trans-welcoming and LGBT-welcoming, and I knew that because I had some people in management there, things like that. And so, you know, I saw a rainbow flag up. I saw on their intake form, it asked me if I was LGBTQ, which was great, and you should always be happy if you see that on intake. And honestly, if you don't see an intake, ask your doctor why, because that's, uh-huh. the, that's the way we're going to get better information about our population health is if we start to put that on intake regularly and just celebrate it instead of hiding it. And so they asked me on intake. They had a non-discrimination policy up that said sexual orientation, gender identity. So I saw all the things that made me feel welcoming. But it was interesting because even just after that dental visit, I, I mean, it had nothing to do particularly with being queer, but I got a call, and the call was from their trans health team and said, hey, we saw that you checked that you're trans and that you came to the health center for the first time. We just wanted to say welcome. And by the way, you may not know, we've got trans yoga and a trans swim night <laughs> and trans game night. Uh-huh. And, and, and I'll tell you, uh, to be honest, it was so crazy because – I didn't even realize the level to which I walk around guarded, right, with every health provider. And the idea that one reached back out to me and was like, thank you for coming. We're so happy you came. Oh, my gosh, it was like night and day. It really was like night and day to feel that I was valued for who I was and not just tolerated. So, like, you know, so then we can see how, you know, you blend some of these good strategies from the two different types. And, you know, if we can get federally qualified health centers are a massive system of health centers around the country. If we could get all of them to do that when any of us walk up to their door, how different would our experience be? Wow, definitely. Well, we're going to take our second break and we'll be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. 
and we're back here with Scout. Well, talking about about that, I noticed that you guys had commissioned a pretty big video billboard in Times Square. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, how cool is that? You know, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We uh, we were approached by them. This is a 56 foot by 29 foot video, two sided because it goes around the corner of a building. Video uh-huh. billboard over Times Square. We were approached by them, and they said, you know, someone backed out, and you know, any way you can step in and do this, we, I'll be honest, we had to pay for it. And mm-hmm. we're like, oh, we got to make this happen. We've just got to find a way to make this happen. So, um, yeah, we're really happy that right now. Um, at least three times an hour up over Times Square is a video PSA where a big rainbow flag waves and it says, hey, queers, we love you. Stay healthy in 2020. And then, you know, says some ways to stay healthy, like get your screenings, stay tobacco-free, eat better, see your friends, things like that. We're, we're really delighted by it. Wow. Well, what and it was actually up that? over New Year's Eve so far. I know. So, I know. Yeah. I know. So, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's hard because it, we don't exactly know necessarily the people who are seeing it aren't necessarily contacting us. We didn't ask them to. We asked them to, you mm-hmm. know, take care of their health instead. But the people who are hearing about it are really inspired by this. And actually, as a matter of fact, we have the opportunity to change the ad, and we're hoping that we can even run the bi flag, the trans flag, maybe the gender non-conforming flag, maybe mm-hmm. the non-binary flag, and th- that would be really be historic because I don't think I don't think the trans flag has ever been up over Times Square ever, plus the mm-hmm. bi flag. So um, y- you can actually please do visit our website, and you're, if you're interested in sponsoring it, there's even a chance for sponsors to get their name up on the billboard as well for the last week of it. So we're hoping we can get enough money together that we can do some of these other ads we want to do between now and the end of February. And we are at cancer-network.org. So you can see the video there. You can uh-huh. read more about it. And, and I think what we're understanding is, especially you know, if you're listening to the news this last year, it was a bad year for LGBTQ health. Why? Because uh-huh. the feds kept pushing against us. You know, there's big court cases around the country as to whether doctors should be legally allowed to discriminate against us and refuse us care. And, you know, these, a a lot of the, you know, the structural resources we have working on health in our communities, we're like being pummeled by all these attacks, which are usually a lot of policy changes to roll back our protections. And we are, you know, we are hustling to try and hold off these attacks to keep these good policies in place to not let doctors be able to refuse care to us. But what we really wanted to do was, was in the face of all that, reframe the message. Mm. And instead of hearing negative stuff, to start 2020 off with something where we reminded all of us that we are loved, our bodies are precious, our lives are precious, our health is precious. And even if you'd heard all the news about the bad things that may be happening related to policies, it's important for us to stand up and value ourselves. And, you know, that, that starts by putting your own oxygen mask on first. So that starts uh-huh, by, you know, uh-huh. getting to a doctor and, you know, hey, do I need any cancer screenings? Do I, you know, need any blood tests? What do I need to do to make sure I stay as healthy and can fight as long as possible? You know, so people, are, I, I think, I, are really being inspired by that happy message. It's kind uh-huh. of really the summary. I, I think that's I think that's really wonderful. You know, I often tell people I said, you know, and I am fortunate to have a partner who will make the time to go with me and I make the time to go with her and yeah. you know, to sort of be there and then it's wonderful, like you said, when you have you go in to see the doctor and you bring your partner and then they show up. The doctor shows up and mm-hmm. they are inclusive and they mm-hmm. talk like Next time mm-hmm. when you come without them, they go like, "Where's your partner?" <laughs> you know, right? Why isn't feel, she here? Exactly. You know, why isn't she? Here? Or you know, if you have like a difficult diagnosis, and they say, "Be sure and bring your partner," because you both want to hear this. And yep. you know, when I was in Atlanta talking to people, and there was someone who was with cancer, she said, "Well, when they said cancer, I just didn't hear anything." 
And I said, well, you know, next time take your partner. And she said, well, I don't know if they'd accept it. You know, next time take your partner mm-hmm. because you need to hear and you need them yeah. to hear so they can be supportive of you as you did. And then if they're not supportive, you need to change your doctor because there are people exactly. out there who want to be welcoming. And that's, that's hard. Like if you hear the uh-huh. – like, I, I mean, I did. Two, was about two years ago now I heard, you know, the doctor say, hey, one of your biopsies was okay. Bad news because I had more than one biopsy, right? You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. So if you, if you – like if they start to use, you know, the big C word on you – that's the time when you're going to get hit with everything, pulling your resources, and, you know, you're going to, your energy is going to be all over the place. But that's when we still need to value ourselves enough to ask for and demand the care we really deserve. If that doctor is not welcoming of your partner, find another doctor. Hey, be, be a consumer. You're paying for that insurance. If they don't mm-hmm. do you right, find the one, find the insurance carrier and the doctors who will do it. Now, we began talking about that this is Cervical Cancer Awareness Month. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What are the key things that people need to be aware of? You know, I think with, with that, luckily, it, with cervical cancer, we've got good tests related to it. So there's two general things that the population needs to understand. A, if you're young enough to get the HPV vaccine, and that age actually keeps changing. So if you're young enough to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. And this actually applies to guys as well as women. So it's not even just young girls alone anymore um, because it's also the vaccine is correlated with a bunch of, I mean, HPV itself is correlated with a bunch of different cancers, including anal cancer, cervical cancer, and some of the mouth cancers, things like that. So we just don't want HPV near us if we have a choice. And anybody under a certain age, you can get those vaccines and you don't have to worry about that. So that's thing one, right? Uh And then thing two is, and and also just to say about that, we know that all these concerns that vaccines are related to things like autism and stuff like that have been debunked. So don't fall prey to like urban myths that keep you away from taking care of your own health, right? So Uh that's, Thing one is that vaccine. Thing two is just if you have a regular doctor, like if you have a regular mechanic, they remind you you need to check this up on your car, but you don't have to worry about this, right? And it, it, it does drive me crazy the way so many of us will have a regular mechanic, but not a regular doctor, you know? And truth be told, I'm going to go through a bunch of cars in my life, but I only have one body, right? Mm-hmm. So. If you have a regular doctor, then it doesn't matter what the guidelines are for getting a pap smear or cervical cancer testing because they'll take care of them for you. They'll remind you. They'll prod you, and they'll make it their business to make sure you're on top of it. So thing one, HPV vaccine. Thing two, a regular doctor that you're going to. And, of course, that will help you with so many things that might be not necessarily going perfectly, right? The uh-huh. doctor's going to catch a bunch of things like that all at once. So, you know, you should be getting your annual physical exams. And if it's someone you know and trust and have confidence in, it's always easier to go back to them whenever something doesn't go well. If you don't have a doctor and you're faced with finding something new, you know you're going to be avoiding going to, you know, get health care when you might need to. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right, so, I mean, you know, and this is, and you know, it might just be the month, but it's, it's all year, you know, to take care of yourself. I, I love what it says, eat well, get screened, be active, and stay tobacco-free. And I know, yes, yes. Right. Yeah, and, and you said something that was really important, staying tobacco-free. And vaping, not necessarily the answer. Um can you go one more time over how we're dying from tobacco? How we're getting well, sick? you know something. If you want to break down to why this happens, most people start using tobacco at around the age of twelve to thirteen. Wow. Guess what is the average age that most people realize that they're LGBTQ? According to HRC's most mm-hmm. recent research, twelve to thirteen. Mm-hmm. So we don't even realize tobacco is usually a pediatric epidemic. If you get out of, like, teenage years without starting it, you're pretty much scot-free. You're not usually going to start it later. 
So this is our kids, right? And mm-hmm. our kids, as they realize that they're not like everybody else, maybe they don't fit in, maybe they don't have a gay-straight alliance in their high school, uh-oh, they're really socially ostracized. We know they move to things to try and help them relax, cope, or fit in. And too often, tobacco is that thing. So, you know something, I understand, not even counting the marketing the tobacco industry is I understand why we're vulnerable. I get that. But I also, it, you know, you frame it that way and you realize it's an act of self-love to fight against it. And let me also say, a lot of people don't realize how best to get free of it. Because you may not know, most every smoker wants to quit. According to the stats, most every smoker wants to quit. It's just so in- hugely addictive. So you may not know that it'll be an average of seven, eight, seven to eight attempts in order to actually get you completely free of it. One of the best things you can do is do not go cold turkey. Call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. Almost every quit line has been trained on LGBT cultural competency, and if they do not treat you well, literally get back to us, and we will give them a call and train them again. (laughs) So it's true. It's true. That's right. Hey, if they don't get it, call us, and we'll train them again. I'm serious. I'm serious. Mm-hmm. So 1-800-QUIT-NOW, and they will walk you through the science best evidence of how to do it smart instead of how to do it, you know, fast or, or, or you know, the way that's not going to work as well. And then be patient with yourself because it's going to take you seven to eight tries to finally kick that monkey, get it off your back. But eventually you will be tobacco-free. More and more of us are every year, except for the vaping, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's one of the reasons you don't want to use vaping to try and get there, Right. You're going to use nicotine replacement therapy. You're going to go to your doctor and ask about meds that might help you, and you're going to get social support from the quit line and your friends. And you can, it's that act of self-love of letting yourself go through that whole process and finally becoming tobacco-free. Yeah. Uh, well, Scout, it has been wonderful talking to you. Um, if people want to donate to keep this billboard going, to learn more right. about... Or to get your name up on it, or to do special to ads, or to do memoriam uh-huh. ad. Yeah. Uh, go to uh-huh. cancer-network.org, and you can learn all about it there. And if you're in New York City, please go see it. It is at 1500 Broadway at 43rd Street, right in the middle of Times Square. And, uh-huh. you know, as you see it, and you can also see the video online, just, you know, think about how many other people are seeing that message of love and Let's hope that, you know, we're, we're all spreading it. Well, I know you're going to creating change. I can't make it this yes. year. Um, oh. my, my good friend. Um, um, it's because you didn't Monica want the Rock- sunshine, right? I know. You know, I just want the snow. <laughs> uh, my good friend Monica Roberts is receiving I love award. Monica. I know. Give her a big <laughs> hug and a kiss for me. I mean, I, uh, I, I love will. Monica. Monica is just well-deserving of all the accolades. That's so true, right? Yeah. the hardest-working women I know, yes. I know. Um, Scout, travel safely. Thank you. Um, I hope to talk to you again real soon. Uh, Thank you so much, and thank you for doing your part to get voices that aren't often heard out there and in a place where everybody can hear them. Yeah, well, thank you, Scout. Travel safely, and um, I will talk to you real soon. You stay warm. Take care. Okay. I want to thank my guest, the Deputy Director at the National LGBT Cancer Network, Scout. The National LGBT Cancer Network works to improve the lives of LGBT cancer survivors and those at risk by educating the LGBT community about our increased cancer risk and the importance of screening and early detection, training healthcare providers to offer more culturally competent, safe, and welcoming care, and advocating for LGBTQ survivors and mainstream cancer organizations, the media, and research. The organization has commissioned a 56-foot, two-sided video billboard in Times Square to run a call out to LGBTQ people everywhere. The billboard will run for 10 seconds, at least three times per hour through February, 2020. In the coming months, the network plans to raise enough money to swap out the original messages for even more tailored ones.
Be sure to follow Collections by Michelle Brown Blog Radio on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And let us know if you have a suggestion for a guest or a topic for a future show. You can listen to this or past episodes of a show on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or Blog Talk Radio. Join us next week when I'll introduce you to another amazing individual living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshair of their intersectionality, and creating change right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you for listening. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.